At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to uh, open up to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, not Psalms. Psalm chapter, some of you got that joke. The rest of you will get there in a second and figure out why, but. Hey, while you're turning there, I uh, just want to say hello also to everybody joining us uh, on our live stream this morning. And I was just uh, back in my office for a second checking in, and we have a whole host of our church family that's on there this morning tuning in with us. And I'm thankful uh, in this moment that we're able to gather physically and virtually and, uh, and still continue to just be the church of Christ together and really to worship together. So um, good morning, guys. If, uh, if you're at home joining me, you can also join me in the Bible in Psalm chapter 1. So uh, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Some, some of you, yeah, some of you might have heard that phrase more than others right? I don't know, maybe some of you kids, like you, you ever heard from your parents, like if you keep eating those M&Ms, you're going to turn into an M&M. Uh, you, you know, some of you, some of you remember that, right? You, you are what you eat. Uh, I, I have a true confession. Um, I've been struggling with the COVID-19. Uh, that, that's not the virus. That's the pounds that I've put on during this pandemic. It, it might have been there before the pandemic, but at least the pandemic helps give me an excuse for it. And I've had these moments over the last uh, few months where I'm like, man, I, I probably should get a little more exercise and I, I probably should start to eat a little healthier and kind of change some of my diet and my practice. And um, the, the hard part is I, I have this certain love in my life that always hinders me when it comes to uh, getting healthier. And, and that love is cereal. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous for a 35-year-old man to be confessing to you that I struggle with cereal, but it's true. It's one of the things I enjoy most, and I love a good bowl of cereal right before I go to bed. And so I, I always have this idea of like, oh man, I know I need to, I know I need to get healthier, and, and that, that idea, oh man, you know, and probably eating puffed wheat covered in sugar is not the best thing to eat right before you go to sleep. I think pretty much every diet teaches you that, but it's like this constant, I've always loved cereal ever since I was a little kid, and it's always this constant tension and struggle that I have. And, and, and so, you know, I don't think I'm going to turn into cereal one day, but it's always that reminder in that phrase that, uh, you know, if I want to be healthy and I want to actually pursue that, then it matters to what I actually eat and what I actually engage, right? You are what you eat. That, that's not only a true reality for us physically, but there's also a true reality spiritually, and it's, it's not necessarily for us the things that we eat that define often who we are and what we become, but it's actually the things we love. It's the things we desire, the things we focus on or put at the center of our lives. You might say it when it comes to our spiritual life, you might not be you are what you eat, but you are what you love. And what we center ourselves on actually leads us to become who we are. Now, this isn't only a true reality for us personally. This actually is also a true reality for us communally. 
any community of people, what they put at the center, what they desire, and what they love often dictates who they are collectively and the sort of people that they become. I don't think to illustrate this, you have to look uh, much farther in our society than the cult of CrossFit. So, and you, some of you know some CrossFitters, right? Maybe you are one of those CrossFitter people. If you ever engage someone that's really into CrossFit, right, what do they love? They love being healthy and fit. And so that's, that's what they talk about all the time, li- literally all the time, right? Like what, whatever new eating plan they're on or the new exercises or how many, uh, you know, handstand push-ups they can do or box jumps or climbs or, or whatever it is. But if you ever engage a CrossFitter that's really into it, they're like, it, that's what they are. And what, well, over time, they as a community seek to become fit and, and often do. We, we just all are jealous, right? We're just all jealous. Can we just admit that, right? We're like, oh, I wish I'd be that fit. But you know, at the end of the day, what we love, what we center ourselves on, inevitably forms who we are. And, and because that's true, I think oftentimes we, as the people of God, as, as the church, right, that's, that's why we're here this morning, we have to ask our question, what are the things that we are called to center on? If what we love what we desire, what we center on, what we pursue forms us to be the sort of people that we are, who is we as a community of followers of Jesus, as the church, who, what are we called to prioritize? What are we called to really center ourselves on as the church, especially when it comes to when we gather? Today we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Assembly Required. And for the next few weeks, we want to spend some time really thinking about what the church is called to engage when we assemble or when we gather together. Now, the gathering, what we do on Sundays, whether we're doing that physically now or virtually as well, is, is not the entirety of the church. I've often said that uh, Sundays are not the point of the church, but they are a part of the church, and they are a significant part of our life together. When we assemble, when we come into the place of community, what are the things that we are called to do when we engage that? Because assembly is such an important part of us. In fact, even the word that we use to describe ourselves, the church, or what the Bible uses to describe us, is rooted in the concept of gathering or assembly. The word church ultimately finds its root in the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means an assembly or an assembly of people. And so the church, from its very foundation is formed, has this idea that we gather together and that we are an assembly, a community gathered before God. As Christians, we're called into a universal assembly of God's people. We are part of the universal congregation of God's people in Christ who glorify him and enjoy him for all time. But part of the way that we practice that, and we see biblically, is we also gather within local assemblies, which is what we are, a local assembly of God's global assembly where we seek to live out the life of faith. Now, the issue in that, in that idea of assembling, is not showing up to a specific building, right? But it's being part of a gathered people. It's being part of this community of people who worship and engage God. 
That's why if you're watching online this morning, the point is not to say, well, the church is just gathered when we're all physically in the same space, because even we know during this pandemic, that's not possible for all of us. But it's the idea that I belong to an assembly or community, a gathering of God's people in a local place and in a local community. But again, the question remains, as an assembled people, what are we called to prioritize? What are we called to love that helps us become the people that God wants us to be? Well, to answer that question in this series for the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into the book of Psalms. And the Psalms is really kind of the prayer book of the church. They give language to how we engage and participate and enjoy our relationship with God. But they're not just, the Psalms are not just an individual's prayer book. They're not just given to you to kind of help enhance your prayer life, although they can do that as well. But they're actually a collection of songs and poems that are given to God's people. They're given to the community of people. And because of that, they help to call us to be, to, to really what we love and center and prioritize on. The Psalms help to show us what we value and practice when we gather and worship God together. So this morning, we're going to be beginning our series in Psalm 1 right away. And Psalm 1 kind of almost serves as the introduction to the book of Psalms. And it kind of lays out for us the vision for the rest of the book. And I think from the get-go, it helps us to ask and begin to explore the idea of what are the things that we prioritize in our assembly. Psalm 1 from the get-go, and Joel just read it a few moments ago, really lays out for us in its text two different paths or ways of living. The way the book of Psalms begins is really with a call towards two different ways to live. The first path is a path in which someone delights, loves, and dwells on the Word of God. The second path, as we'll see in a moment, is to reject the Word of God and to seek another path or another way of living. From the beginning, the psalm is calling us to a choice and asking the question, which path will you choose? In some ways, this psalm almost reminds me of uh, the famous poem by Robert Frost, Two Roads. And if you're familiar with that poem, it's one of the famous American poems, uh, Robert Frost kind of in the poem speaks of two different roads. And I won't read the whole thing, but I think the end gives us a great glimpse of kind of what Psalm 1 is pointing us towards. This is the last stanza in the poem Robert Frost wrote, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In many ways, the psalm is doing just what Robert Frost's poem does. It's laying before us two roads, and it's essentially saying, which path are you going to choose? Because that will make all the difference. But the question that we want to ask in response to Psalm 1 this morning as we engage it is, what actually shapes these roads? What's the difference here between these two paths? Because it's in that that we begin to see then, well, if we're going to choose the path that God calls us, what's the thing that we're choosing? What is it that we are ultimately to move towards? 
Well, the psalm gives a very key priority and what really shapes the path that it calls us to follow, and it's namely this, God's Word. That what shapes the path that God calls us to follow is God's Word. And when we think then about who we are and who we are called to be, And what we do when we assemble, we are really called to delight ourselves and center ourselves on God's Word. That's the big idea that I want you to understand this morning, that we gather and part of our assembly to delight in God's Word because this is the path that God calls us to. Now, that might be an interesting concept for you to think that when we gather, we seek to delight in God's word. What does that really mean to delight in God's word? Well, the psalm uses the word delight. We'll see it in a second when we kind of dig through the text a little bit. But that idea of delight is just not mental assent. It's actually the idea of a strong emotional connection, a love, a joy, a desire that comes in something. And so when we say we delight in God's word, what we're saying by that and what the psalm points us towards is not that we just acknowledge God's word or that we just like his word, but we actually have an emotional love and connection and desire for it. If I was to tell you that I delight in my children, you would know that that's a different idea than just liking my children. Like, all parents like their children. That's what you're supposed to do as a parent, right? I mean, some days you don't like them, but that's a whole different thing we can talk about later. But there's a difference between I like my kids and I delight in my kids. Because delight speaks to the relationship. Delight speaks to the love. Delight speaks to the joy that I have in my engagement and relationship with him. And so what the psalm wants to move us towards is the idea that to follow the path that God has for us is to delight in his word, to love it, to desire it, to have the sort of relationship with him through his word that brings joy. So we gather to delight in God's word. And you, you might say, okay, well, what? Well, well, That seems, how do I delight in God's word? What does that mean, really? Well, I think the psalm actually gives us three significant ways that the scripture, God's word that he gives to us, can raise within us a delight for it, a love for it. And as we unpack this psalm, I think you're going to see why the calls for us to live this sort of life and be the sort of people together that delight in God's word. So let's unpack this passage together. Verse 1 starts, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You can see from the get-go the contrast that the writer and the psalmist wants you to see. But he begins his psalm with this key word of blessed. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man or woman who does not do this but does this. This idea of blessed is the idea really of being happy or joyful. It's the idea of being filled. 
And from the get-go, it kind of brings the contrast into focus immediately between those who are blessed and those who are not blessed according to the psalm. And it all basically boils down to what their life is centered upon. The first group of people that the psalm addresses are those really, are the people who are blessed, who do not follow the path of those who reject God's word. That's really what these first few stanzas mean. When you read Hebrew poetry, one of the kind of tenets of Hebrew poetry is they use what's known as parallelism. And parallelism is when you take an idea or a phrase and then you couple it with a second, or in this case, a third phrase that kind of seems to be repeating what the first phrase said, but with kind of a different idea or word. And what they're mean to is to be engaged in a way in which you see the whole. And so what you get as a picture at the beginning is a group of people who have outright rejected the way of God. The Bible describes them as wicked or sinners or scoffers. People who not only disobey God's word, but then move to a place where they openly mock it, where they scoff at it. And what the psalmist says is, blessed is the person who does not follow that way. But blessed is the person that delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night. And so we see right away that the first point that the psalmist makes for us of why we are called to delight in God's word is that God's word brings blessing to us. God's word brings blessing to our lives. It brings joy and fulfillment. What brings joy and fulfillment? Well, he says his delight, that's where we get our main idea, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, when the Bible says law, it's not just referring in this passage to the rules. It's actually referring to the first five books of your Bible, which was known as the Pentateuch or the law of Moses. It's God's whole story. It's his word that was revealed up until that point that the psalmist likely wrote this psalm. We would likely today say the law of the Lord is the entire revelation of God that he has given us both in the Old and New Testament. But the scripture says that blessed is the person that meditates, or I'm sorry, that delights in this word. And what does he mean? Again, here's the parallelism. Not just that he delights, but that he meditates. The whole picture is this is someone who takes the word of God and puts it at the center of their life. Not only in their heart, not only in their love, not only their affection, but also their mind. They're constantly dwelling and thinking about it, constantly meditating and understanding it. And this is the person that receives blessing. You see, God's word is the way in which we come to know God. And God is the one through whom we receive the greatest source of blessing. He is the source of life. God desires for us to live a blessed and full and joy-filled life. That is what he created us for. And the law that God gives, the word that he gives, is meant to help us to experience that blessed life in relationship to him. 
And Scripture then is viewed and seen as a source of that blessing where we come to know God and know His ways because He knows what is best for us. Some of us, I think, struggle with that idea. We struggle with the idea that that the Word of God is really the way in which God knows or speaks or communicates what's best to us because we live in a world that scoffs and mocks and avoids that reality. But the scripture reminds us time and time again that the word of God is a source of blessing. It reveals God and it reveals his way. And so when we gather, we center ourselves on God's word because that is how we come to know him and we come to know how we live and love the way he desires for us to live and love. Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. But there's a second reason that we're called to delight in the law of the Lord. It comes in verse 3. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Again, two paths, two images are given within the text. On the one hand is the person who delights in God's word, who makes it the center of their life. And what the Bible says is this person is like a tree planted by water that grows and bears fruit. Contrasted to that are those who reject or scoff at God's word. They are like chaff that are thrown to the wind. So the second reason we can delight in the word is that the word brings fruitfulness to our lives. Now, when we hear the imagery that the psalmist gives in this, I think sometimes we have, uh, we have a little bit of trouble maybe making the connection of why it's so important to see the flourishing of a tree planted by streams of water, because we live in East Michigan, and trees don't necessarily have to be planted by water in order to flourish here. But remember that the author here is writing in a Middle Eastern context. It's a much different climate than ours, much drier, much more desert-like, And so for a tree to flourish, being rooted or planting next to water is imperative for its life and success. I spent two years of my life living in the country of Egypt, just a little bit below Israel. And if you go to Egypt, you recognize how vital water and a river are to life. If you go by the Nile, you can see on either side of the Nile flourishing, beautiful trees. Things grow. It's gorgeous. It's much like the tree on my right, the plants and trees that are planted by the Nile. But if you go outside the Nile in Egypt, you don't find green. You find brown. You find lots of sand. You find a complete lack of life. Why? Because water is vital to life. And what the author is saying is those that firmly root themselves in God's word are people who are like a tree that's rooted in water. They will flourish. Not only will they flourish, they will bear fruit. Their life will give evidence of who God is and they will bear the fruit of the kingdom in their life. And not only that, they will be like a tree that bears fruit and never withers. That's secure, rooted, constantly finding the fruit of the kingdom no matter the circumstances of life. The Bible describes this as someone who prospers. 
And the idea of prosperity here is not just the idea that if we trust in Jesus, everything goes right all the time and we get more money and our lives are better. It's the idea that we flourish in harmony with God and relationship and righteousness and all the things that he desires for our lives. Jesus picked up the same concept in John 15 where he would look at his disciples and he would say, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Those rooted in the life of God will bear the fruit of the kingdom. This is contrasted in the text with those who reject God's word and God's way. The Bible says they are like chaff. Not, again, a concept we were probably easily familiar with, but would have been very common for the psalmists. In those days, what they would have done is what they would have grown, likely wheat or other things within their field. And when harvest time came, they would gather the wheat and they would stomp it out either with an animal or, um, or their feet or whatever they would do. And then in the storehouses, what they would do is they would toss the wheat up into the air. And the husk, the things that were not of fruitful or help, would be blown away by the wind, and what was fruitful and good and useful would fall to the ground. The imagery, the Bible says, is those that reject God's words are like chaff. They are unfruitful. They are useless. In fact, the wind drives them away, in which every circumstance of life shows that they are not rooted within God himself. And so he says, those that are rooted in the word will bear fruit. Be that sort of person. And friends, this is not only true, we see in Scripture, although it is, but this is affirmed time and time again within, the life, within our life as the church. In fact, a few years ago, Lifeway, uh, which is one of the research branches of the Southern Baptist Convention, did a study on the discipleship and life of Christians. And they sought to set out to understand what are the things Christians engage that help produce the life and fruit of the kingdom. And so the first thing they did in this study is they tried to outline, when we look at Scripture, what are some of the key indicators of someone that is living and following Jesus and what we see in the Bible? And they came up with a list of these things like obedience to Christ, serving, exercising faith, sharing our faith with others, seeking and desiring God. And then they went from there to go back and say, okay, what are, the, what are the things that people actually engage in that help produce that fruit in their lives? And they, they did a survey of, 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 of a few thousand people across denominations and churches, large, big, small, and essentially asked and surveyed that idea. What do you engage that helps produce these things in their life? You want to know what the number one thing that helped produce the fruit of the kingdom in the life of Christians? It was simply reading the Bible. People that regularly read the Bible were more likely to produce the attributes and fruits of Christ than almost anything else that they engaged. And, and, and in the study, what's fascinating is it was just people who read it. Not, not just people who studied it or not people who memorized it. They tested for those things. It was people who just had a regular habit of reading it. Why? 
because the word bears fruit. And when we delight and meditate and dwell on the word of God, it cannot help but produce the fruit of the kingdom in it. It's what it does. It's why he calls us to delight in it. And so if you look at your life and you say, man, I would love to grow in godliness. I would love to grow in love and peace and joy and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. These things we see and we want and desire to pursue. The starting point then is get in God's word. Read it. Meditate on it. Engage it. I know so many Christians as a pastor who desire and want to live the life of Jesus but will not simply set aside the time to actually engage his word. And friends, it is not because we have a lack of resources. If you go home today and Google Bible study, you will find a plethora of of resources. You will find plans that will help you read the Bible daily. You will find information that will help you study and know the word. You will find apps that you can listen to someone read the word of God to you. It is not our resources that we lack. It is our resolve and desire for the things of God often in our heart where we too often want the things of man more than we want God and his word. And it's why our lives are like chaff. It's why coronavirus comes and statistics say that one in three practicing Christians are no longer engaging church whatsoever because the trial came and we weren't rooted in God's word. And our lives don't bear the fruit of the kingdom. But we are called to delight in God's word because it not only brings blessing and it brings fruit, but it brings to us salvation. Look how he closes this section. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalm ends, again, with a clear call towards us, towards what path will you choose? Will you choose a path of delighting in God's word? Will we be a people who center on God's word? Or will we be like the wicked? It's harsh and it's challenging, but it's also the true truth and reality You see, the the reality is one day you and I and all of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. We will stand in the place of judgment. And at that point, we will either be brought into the full assembly, the full congregation of God's people, or we will be removed. What the Bible calls the second death. But the hope that the psalmist wants to remind us of is that the word, the word of God, brings and teaches us the way in which we can be saved from that judgment and brought in to God's people. The word brings salvation. The one who delights in God's word who knows his word, who seeks his word, who meditates on his word, he says in verse 6, the Lord knows his or her way. The Lord knows those that make the word of God the center of their life. 
Because you see, if you study this book, you read this book, you understand this book, you understand the words, you know that every page, every chapter, every book points towards the ultimate word of God, which is Jesus Christ himself. That he taught us that everything in here points towards him. And the truth and reality that it reminds us of time and time again is that although you and I, we had turned from God, that we were like the man who turned and scoffed and mocked God, that God saw us in our failure and he sent his son to die on our behalf to cover that sin and rise again in order that we might be able to have the life of God in us. And that when we trust in Jesus Christ, the true, full, revealed word of God, God takes us from the place of judgment and brings us into his family, adopted sons and daughters known by our Father. And so the reason the psalmist points towards this way is he says, don't, don't take the path of the world. Don't follow the way that everyone else follows. Follow that less traveled path. Follow the path that delights in God's word because that's where blessing is found. That's where fruit is found. That's where salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And so we are called to be a people who delight in God's word. And that's why when we gather together, we hold this up as the center point of what we do because we believe in what it brings and that when we delight in God's word, it produces those things in us. It's why we sing it and pray it and read it and spend 30-odd minutes preaching it so that we can dig into the text and understand what the word of God says because it's that which produces in us the sort of life that God calls us to be. We are what we love. And my hope and prayer is that we are always a church that loves God's word and that we center on it every time we're together. Let's pray together. God, we stand in this moment and we say thank you for your word. Thank you that you have so graciously revealed yourself to us through it. Even more that you use it to reveal the truth of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God, how good of you to show yourself to us through your word. And I pray over us, Lord, I ask you that would help us to be a people that delight in it. God, that we just wouldn't be a church that likes the Bible, but we would actually be a church that loves it, loves it so much we put it at the center of everything we do. That we would be a people who regularly meditate on it day and night so that we can become who you desire for us to be because we know what it produces. So Lord, I'm asking for each one of us here, would you give us a fresh passion, a fresh desire for your word? Would you help us to love it, to know it, to celebrate it, to keep it at the center of our lives together? 
Spirit, even now as we sing, would you just raise our affection for the word of God and for the Son of God that it reveals. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.